put some things into perspective for you to help you understand that one of the best ways that we can become militant is to know what's happening in other people's lives spiritually and to tear away and remove blinders that the enemy puts on them or holds them captive to do his will. That's what the enemy does. So the scriptures to back that up are First Corinthians or Second Corinthians four four. It says that the enemy blinds the minds of people so that the light of the gospel doesn't shine in. God wants to shine His light into your heart and into your life, and it's the light of the good news of what He's done and who He is and what He's about to do. And there's a lot to that, and we're going to talk about that over the course of time. But He works hard to blind minds, and then the scripture that I shared with you last week with 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 26. We're not going to pull them up. But the mindset is that the enemy holds people captive so that they don't come to their senses and they don't repent so that they'll do his will. If you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's message, I'd really encourage you to do that. I talked about what it means to, to give a defense and an answer for the hope that's inside of you when people ask you because they will and they'll see it in your life. The word for that is apologetics. It doesn't mean I'm saying sorry for the way I live. It means that I have a hope and an answer and I can defend that. It means I understand what Jesus did for me and my own personal story of how he rescued me. For example, many of you know my story. I share it a lot. The reason why I share my story a lot is because his glory is in my story. His glory is in your story. And, and your testimony defeats the enemy along with the blood of Jesus. So what God has done inside of you, nobody can rob, steal, kill, or destroy. And then that becomes a weapon to set somebody else free. And so for me, I often tell people this, and I have no shame in it. And some of you may forget, but yes, I spent a year in prison. Now, when I got busted for drugs, going to a Grateful Dead concert, that year in prison and me getting busted was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. Because if I didn't get busted and go to prison, I wouldn't be on this microphone. I wouldn't have my wife. There'd be no Rock City and there'd be no Cadence in Zion. I'd either be dead or spending a life in prison. Spending a lifetime in prison. Because the road that I was on was destructive, selfish, hurting people's lives. It was illegal, immoral, unethical, and unbiblical. I was breaking every single one of those things. And in turn, they were breaking me and killing me. So God in his kindness and mercy knew what I needed best, which was a year in prison. That's why I say, thank God I went to prison. In fact, I have been so bold to tell my story that it was written up in the Metro Leader and sent to every household in Corpus Christi. Post-hurricane, I was asked to share my story about the coffee shops and pastoring, and I made sure to include about my year in prison. Because I don't really care what anybody thinks or says because there's no shame in my story. So I tell my story in hopes that you'll come out of shame and fear and hiding and tell yours. Because if I can do it in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, so can you. And that's just a little bitty tiny piece. But it was one of the most defining moments for me. When I went to prison, I became a master tutor. I taught illiterates how to read. So I'd sit in class. That was, of course, after my little stint of cleaning toilets, which I did that first. Then I became a tutor. And I never knew how to read the Bible. And the illiterates didn't know how to read a Bible because they can't read. So my life became a living book for them to read. And then they would ask me, can you teach me what you know? I said, well, I don't know a whole lot, but I've surrendered my life to Jesus. But I'll teach you, and while I teach you, you can teach me, and we'll learn together. And so really, my year in prison was a year in Bible school. It was one of the best years that could have ever happened to me because I needed that. Not a lot of us get a whole year to go away and spend time in the word. But trust me, you shouldn't have to go to prison to get into Bible school. And so when I came out of prison, you some, many of you know my story, and I've, I'm not telling you my whole testimony, but I'm going to make a point, and I'm going to close with the same point. The point is this. Ten years after I got busted and spent a year in prison, I went before the same exact Greek judge and in front of a whole courthouse about this many people I stood in front of him and thanked him for sending me to prison. Now, thousands and thousands of people have probably been sent to jail or prison by that judge, and I would probably guess, I can't say for sure, that few to none have ever come back and said thank you. Who says thank you? I mean, really? Wow, thank you for sending me to jail. But I, the Lord knew what I needed 
The Lord knew that I was on a fast track to hell or death or destruction, and had it not been for it coming to an abrupt halt and end, my life wouldn't have changed. And people say, oh, well, you just gave your life to Jesus in prison. Okay. Thank God. Thank God. It happened somewhere, and it doesn't matter, and I don't really care. Yeah. But it was real, and it was authentic, and it wasn't a crutch, and it wasn't just to get by. It was a real change because I knew I needed it, and I knew God was knocking on my door. Some of you are in prison in your mind right now. And God wants to bring a jailbreak to your own life. And you can get a jailbreak right now. The cage door is open. You just got to fly out. And today I'm going to give you all the tools and answers, or a lot of them, and I'm going to bring hope to your life for you to fly out. But you got to want it and let your guard down. I don't care where you are, what you have or don't have. I don't care what your past has been. I don't care what your status is, what you look like or don't look like. I don't care. I don't have a selfish bone in my body. I don't want your money. I don't need nickels and noses. I don't have to have more people that come. I care about you. I'm not in this for any other reason, but God put a love inside my heart that's unconditional, and I have agape, which is, does everything with no expectation to get something in return. It's the highest form of love. That's why we say love has no hooks. Do I want you to change? Do I want to see you get born again and saved? Do I want to capture your soul and pull you out of captivity? Yes, I do. But the, there's no hook. It's love. Because love transforms people's lives. And if I can convince and persuade you to believe that I really love you right now for who you are and that Jesus loves you even better and that you can come out of hiding in isolation and fear and take the crown off your heart, you can be changed in a moment. You can be changed right now. That's the way it works in the kingdom. And then we walk it out together with you for a lifetime. That's what family does. I'm in it for life. It's family. I'm together with my wife, Amber, until the day I die. Really. I love her no matter what. God put me with her, and I'm sticking with her forever. Because she was the right one for me. I'm committed. I'm in it to win it, and so should you be. And you have to learn, and you have to discover, and you have to be trained, and you have to be equipped, and you have to find out what it means to walk with the Lord. And we have to break all these crazy paradigms that Western Americanized religion have put inside in so many of you. Things you saw on TV, or last pastors, or church systems, or structures, or denominational lenses on your soul. We gotta shatter those things so you can see God for who he really is and then become who you're really called to be. You actually find yourself when you find him. Because without him, we're, we're living a lie. Without him, we live according to the standards of this world and what we think makes us successful and prosperous. But when you find him, you find your real identity. That's why it's called born again. It's two births. One, the carnal, natural person you were born into this world, and then next you're born from a spiritual birth. You're born from on high. And so there's, there's not a selfish thing inside of my body to see you be transformed. Not one thing. Not one thing inside of me, except that I want to see you become everything God has called you to become. That's what I want. And I want to tear away the blinders because I know I'm in a war. I'm in a war for your life. I don't wrestle against you. I wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places for what? to rescue lives. Once I'm fully surrendered and living upright and righteous, I'm not having to war against the enemy for my own life, though he'll try to bring things against me and against my wife. But the devil's been defeated. He can only have what we choose to give him. That's why he says, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. He didn't give you a spirit, a demon of fear. And fear and anxiety and worry and doubt and what ifs and if and buts and all these things that we live in about tomorrow and what's going to happen if I don't do this and if I don't cover my back, that robs you of real lordship because you're trying to figure it out in your own way. Right? So what I'm out to do is create a family and a church, and we're not the only ones, but with what we have here, a place of total lordship and surrender where your life is not your own. Let's say this together, please. My life is not my own. 
So I want to teach you some powerful things today because we're really going into this understanding of what do I have to give someone else? And how can I tear away violently the blinders and the demonic deception that's going on in the world out there? I'm out to teach you and train and equip you, and I'm out to move you from camping on a milk bottle to camping on a filet mignon in the spirit and to be mature so that you have solid food and strong teeth so that you can go rescue lives, but you first have to get yourself rescued. I'm going to teach you how that happens in the spirit. So we're going to start today with Matthew chapter 13, verse 32. Jesus spoke a parable. A parable is a natural example of a spiritual understanding. It's using things that people can understand in everyday language about life on earth that really brings a spiritual understanding. Okay? And he said this. He said, I'm sorry, 31. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Verse 32, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. Mark says, uh, the gospel Mark says, it builds really big, strong branches that spread wide. And those strong branches that spread wide and that big tree becomes a place where the birds of the air can nest or find rest in its branches. And so what happens is, is that your life is likened unto a tree. Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, both use the analogy and example that blessed is the man who puts his hope and trust in the Lord, he shall be like a tree. I titled this message, A Wise Tree. I really wanted to title it, The Tree in Me. Because there's a tree inside of you, and you're called to become a tree. Here's the understanding. Let's pull up the first picture. I want you to understand how big a mustard seed is. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. In fact, a mustard seed is actually smaller than what you see on the tip of that finger. Because the, the actual nucleus inside the seed is what has life. The shell breaks off and then the seed germinates from inside of it. So what's inside of you becomes greater than what's on the outside. Now, that's the case for all seeds, but I want you to really understand there's so many powerful analogies of a mustard seed. In fact, Jesus said, if you have faith that size, so if you think you got to be super great, religious, all-knowing, powerful, and higher, and whatever it is, you need to understand that's about all you really have to have. You know why? Because this little seed grows into an incredible tree. A tree, you should, uh, I'll show you a picture of a mustard plant or a mustard tree in the Middle East. Now, there's trees that even get bigger than that. They get anywhere from 6 to 20 feet. There's a lot of different types of mustard seeds. But the thing about a mustard seed is it's extremely, extremely flavorful, and it's full of incredible nutrients, and it's rapidly growing. In about four days in the right soil, that seed will germinate and come break out of the ground, four to five days. Now, it has to have the right atmosphere, right temperature, right soil conditions. You can take a good seed and plant it into good soil, and it's not always going to grow. You may think it would, but environment and atmosphere is what's so important, which is why we worship and lift Jesus high the way that we do. It's why we're extravagant in the way that we are, and it's why we're so connected as a family because an atmosphere germinates the seed for longevity so that you can grow, and then this church becomes a tree so the birds of the air can come and find rest. But... In an even greater way, you are the field. Everybody say, I am the field. So let's go back to the scripture, verse 31. It's like a man who took the seed, a mustard seed. Remember how tiny that seed was? And what did he do? He planted it into a field. Now, I grew up on 32 acres on a ranch in Missouri. Imagine taking in an acre. It didn't say a little garden plot. It said a field so that you can understand the power for it to germinate and grow and how explosive it is and what it can accomplish. The seed is the word of God that you plant into the field of your heart. But you got to take it and I got to give it. We're sowers and you are reapers, meaning you grab a hold of the promise of God and you deposit it inside of you. And if only the tiniest little bit of faith can get inside of you, 
or a mustard seed can get inside of you of God's word and God's promise, it can germinate and grow and become explosive and make you into be everything it's supposed to be. But the key is, is that you don't give up and that you keep coming and you don't back down and you don't let shame and fear and worry and inhibition drive you back because that's what the enemy will work to do. So we'll pop in and out and pop in and out and then the lies will come that you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you know, you're never going to make it, they're not going to like you, all this type of stuff. But those are all lies, which is why I tell you never give up. I remember once when I was actually in church in chapel in prison and one of my guys that i was close friends to fell asleep next to me and i reached over and i kicked his chair and he went and he was snoring and he kind of came to and he got so mad that he kicked my chair back he said leave me alone and afterwards we talked I said, dude you can't fall asleep in church he goes look i am so tired but thank god i was there because my ears are open and i can still hear it uh, okay i can live with that now, do I want you all to come and fall asleep? Absolutely not. The point is, I'd rather you come here even if you drag yourself in than stay away. Because if I can just get you to come and speak the word and water your hearts with nutrition and atmosphere and, and light from God's presence and speak the word into you, because the word is powerful. Whether you take it or not, the word has power. I just got to get the word inside of you. And all I have to do is get bring that picture back up of the mustard seed. That's all that I have to do to get inside of you. And that's all that has to get inside of me. That's it. And he says, this is what the kingdom is like. That little tiny mustard seed can become this incredible tree. And this incredible tree can bring rest and nesting to the birds of the air. Now, the birds of the air in that scripture don't represent demons, just as they do in, this, in the soils. The soils talks about the bird of the air stealing the seed outside of you. In this case, the bird of the air, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 32, the birds of the air are all people, all nations, anyone and everyone can come to you, get into your branches, and find rest and nesting in your life. You think that's a crazy analogy? Let me show you Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life. He who wins souls is wise. We're going to camp around this scripture just a little bit. There's so much inside of it. The first thing that you have to understand is that the, the reward of the righteous is a tree of life. It's a full restoration of what was lost in the garden. So every promise and every hope and every way to live our, our life for ourselves comes when we make the choice to come into right standing with God. Get a right perspective of righteousness. A lot of, and, and it's not a word that's used often in the world system, so you may not have an understanding. The word righteous simply means to be put into right standing with the Lord and then to be made perfect in his eyes and then to be in the process of transformation. That's what it means to be a saint. You don't have to work all these miracles and live a super long life like Mother Teresa did to establish sainthood. Sainthood comes when you give your life to Jesus. He washes you in his blood, and then he consecrates and separates you from the things of this world, and he starts to make you into who you're called to be. So as soon as you get born again and you come out of that lifestyle of sin and living for yourself, you become a saint in his eyes. That's what it means. And so righteousness and wisdom bring back the promise of the tree of life into our own life. So the fruit of righteousness is that the tree of life is in my life. And now I become a tree of life for everyone else. Do you understand? Does it make sense? What we're trying to do is kill the, the dead tree that's killing you inside of you. We're trying to kill that tree. What tree really is inside of you? Because if you're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit from that is very identifiable. I'm very good at, at inspecting fruit. Let me tell you the, the telltale signs if you're eating from the wrong tree, and then you decide what you're eating from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil leads to death. So you can even have a relationship with and try to be good and die. That's the destructive patterns of religion. Here are the telltale signs, thorns and thistles in the garden of your heart. 
fear, worry, anxiety, stress, the sweat of your brow, never being able to rest, nightmares, anxiousness, worry, doubt, disbelief, panic attacks. All those things are a result of fear and the lies of the enemy. So even in a panic attack, which I have experienced and my wife has experienced, and what happens is, is that a situation or a thought, something happens that instantly brings fear and you start to meditate on the worst case scenario of what could happen and then you get to the point where you can't even breathe and fear completely paralyzes you and overwhelms you to where you can't even function people can't even leave their house they can't people will sit in cars for hours i've known people that have come to this church that have had panic attacks in the in the parking lot and you have to understand that the root of panic attack is the spirit pan look it up when jesus was standing at and in a in um caesarea philippi he, it was a place where the spirit of Pan was worshipped. And he says to Peter, on this rock, I, I will build my church and the gates of hell can't prevail. That's why you need his church, the kingdom of God, built upon the rock of Christ. And our hearts and lives are built on his rock. So when the gates of hell try to prevail, they can't. And he was specifically referring to a place where the spirit of Pan was worshipped. That's why God says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now we learn and we grow and we understand that and what that means. But what I want you to know and understand is that we become a tree of life by choosing to live righteous and become wise. Rooted in wisdom is a tree of life. Let's just jump over to Proverbs 3.18 real quick. Look at what this scripture says about wisdom. You need wisdom. And if you'll grab a hold of her, wisdom is likened unto the she or a woman in Proverbs. And it says, if you'll grab hold of wisdom, she'll become what? A tree of life to all those who take hold of her. And then in turn, if you research the word happy in the Hebraic understanding, it's not just, oh, I feel so happy. It's that my life is fully blessed to the hilt. It means I'm supremely blessed and I have no fear. There's no room for fear. So happier all those who do what? Retain her. So now if we go back to the scripture in Proverbs 11.30, what does it say? Not only have I become a tree of life, or is the tree of life in me and I've become a tree of life, but now my branches spread wide and I can win souls because of wisdom. So the wise win souls. I'm going to talk to you about what it means to win a soul. Okay, but let's say this together. Say the wise win souls. The Hebraic, actual, the Hebraic terminology for this scripture is uh, the, that we capture, those who capture souls are wise. So the word win means to capture. So to capture you means that I break off the darkness on your life and the scales and the blinders from the enemy. And where the enemy has had you captive, I now take you captive for Christ out of it. I get your mind and your will and your emotions, all the things you're thinking and processing and believing, and I break you out of dark. It's a jailbreak, and I bring you into the light of the kingdom and set you free. Now, it's Jesus that does it, but he uses his people on earth as his hands and feet because it's Jesus in me. And so the, the, the understanding of when means that I snatched you out I, I shifted you out of the way that you're living. It's this, it's, I've taught this before where it says that the Lord has conveyed us out of the power of darkness into the gospel of his kingdom and his love and his light. The word conveyed means to, it means to change your position completely. It means when you were once here, I now snatched you out and put you here. That's what Jesus does. But this word is the clear understanding that we are on a mission to win a soul. And to win a soul doesn't mean a feather in my cap, a jewel in my crown, or a notch in my belt. It means that people are hurting and broken and being held captive by the enemy. They're out of their senses to do his will, and God sent you to rescue them. It means that now I've become a tree of life, and in my branches, remember the mustard tree, all the birds of the air can come and nest and find rest. 
It means that I'm giving away the attributes and characteristics of what was in the garden before the fall. It means that now I'm a tree of life for you. It means I can give you wisdom. It means I can give you insight and understanding. It means you give it to the people that are in your life because you are living as a tree of life. It means that we should be rested instead of stressed, worried, anxious. It means we should be in position so that I can give it away to others. But the challenge is, is we're so consumed by the struggles in our homes, our marriages, our money, our kids, our finances, and the immediacy of this life that we're being robbed from giving anything away. It's the subtle tactic and employ of the enemy. If I can get you so consumed with yourself, you'll never want to give something away to somebody else. And that's the understanding of spiritual maturity. At some point, we have to move to the point where we're giving something away instead of just taking. Because if you keep taking, you'll be a fat, lazy Christian. And in fact, you get more fuel and more fire when you give it away, what's inside of you. And I don't even have to try. I just have to be. Trees of life naturally are places where branches and the birds of the air will look for rest. That's why every Uber driver that I ride with, I share the gospel with or I pray for. No matter what, because the Lord gave me a mandate and said, I want you to share the gospel with every single person that you ride with. Now, don't ask me why I've ridden in so many Ubers this last year. I rode in a lot, okay? But the point is, is that God knows what they need, and I know that they need. And sometimes I meet Christians, but most of the time I'm meeting atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, Jews, and people that don't know the Lord at all. And so I realize I may never see that person again. And I've, I'm called to be the hands and feet and the representation. Now, there's not a formula, but because I am a tree of life and because I'm spirit-led, you can give them what they need in that moment. All right? So he who wins souls. Another great understanding of the word win is the word procure. How many of you know what procure means? Anybody? To procure? Okay, it means to to obtain or receive something with tenderness and care, or to take something on behalf of another. And so my job is to grab a hold of lives and, and see them transformed by the power of God on behalf of the king. That's why you have to live missionally. If you don't live missionally, you won't understand the ministry and you'll get frustrated and want to quit. What is the mission? And God will use your, your current job, your current situation to fulfill that mission if you let him. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. It's not conditional based on being a busboy, a table waiter, a general contractor, a painter. I don't care what it is. In fact, I have to tell people that are going to go sleep back under the bridge, right now, you can give it all to Jesus. He can change your situation. Sometimes he has me get a hotel room, but I can't just pay for everybody's hotel room, especially where we're at. I mean, we'd just be doling out money nonstop. But sometimes I do. There's not a formula to it. But the point is, is you got to be able to help people understand no matter where they're at. That's what happened to Peter and John when they went to the temple called uh, the, the temple and at the gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 3. The lame man from his birth was sitting there begging for alms. It'd be like somebody at our front door every day asking for money when you come to church. And what Peter said or John said is, uh, silver and gold I have none, but what I do have I give to you which is Jesus, get up in the name of Jesus because he was, they were trees of life. And when you become a tree of life, you can procure and you can capture or captive, take captive souls. To take a captive soul is this. When you're born again, you're born again in your spirit. You become one with God in your spirit. But in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, the Holy Spirit has got to start working on that area so that you can forgive, overcome abuse and alcohol and drugs and all the things of your past. And he learns, he teaches you by walking with you. That's why the Holy Spirit is your comforter, your guider, and the one that leads you into all truth. He's your spirit guide. But then God brings us along, and what he does is, when you've been believing lies and thinking lies and allowing shame in, then suddenly I'm going to come and be like the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to bring truth, and I'm going to capture your soul, your mind and will emotions, out of the lies and the grip of the enemy. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that Jesus led captivity captive. What does it mean to lead captivity captive? Simple. When somebody's being held captive by the enemy in the kingdom of darkness, 
I, through Christ and the power of Christ, will le help lead you out of it. Not, not just me. I'm using me as an example, but you. This is what's happening in the spiritual world. So the wise win souls. Let's say that again. The wise win souls. Okay, just to take it a step further, let me show you Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 3. I really love this scripture. This scripture says that the wise will shine bright. The wise shine really bright. Now, I'm not going to do a big teaching on wisdom, but I'm going to tell you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 talk about how Jesus is the wisdom of God. So all you have to do is get Jesus, and then you become wise. And he is all-knowing and all-powerful. And once you begin to think with the mind of Christ and understand you have the mind of Christ, now you have the wisdom inside of you. So wisdom is known as a tree of life. The, righteous, the fruit of righteousness is the tree of life. And then it says the wise shine bright, like the brightness of his firmament. How many of you know what it means to shine bright like the brightness of his firmament? Well, I don't know either. But when you find out, let me know. No, the firmament, I mean, it's bright, okay? I mean, astronomers have probably seen, but it's above the expanse of the earth. It's the arch of the sky where there's never any darkness and the light always shines. But the point is, is that there's no darkness and it's really bright. All I know is I want to shine really bright. All I want to do is be a tree of life by grabbing hold of the tree of life and in turn, killing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil inside of me in any area of my life so that I can be like a mustard tree. I want to be like a mustard tree. And I want, I'm going to take hold of it. I'm going to plant it in the field of my heart. And in turn, my branches will spread. You know, a mustard tree has an expanse of over 20 feet in their branches. That little tiny seed. So now anyone and everyone, I don't care who it is, can find rest. That's why when I get in, in those Uber cars, or anybody that I talk to, it's not just Uber cars, I, I share the gospel everywhere I go with whoever God leads me to. I don't always do it with every single person, but I'd be spirit-led. And just ask my wife. I mean, it's inevitable. But I'm spirit-led in it. And so what I realize is it doesn't matter what their situation is, I know I have the answer. And I know confidently that I can bring rest to anybody's life that needs it. And some of you are running ragged right now. You're running ragged. Thorns, thistles, fear, worry, anxiety, depression, sleepless nights, you name it. The biggest issue here is mental health because when your mind isn't healthy and you have not crucified the intellect and come into the tree of life, what happens is, is the devil kills you and we have mental health and mental health sickness everywhere around us, which is why ultimately where am I taking you with this to the blind mind series? And I don't know when I'm going to get to it. I thought I was going to do it two weeks ago, this week, next week. Amber's, when are you going to start next week? I said, I don't know when I'm starting it. I'm on a, trail, on a trail right now with Jesus. Now, there's a few curves and twists and backflips, but we're going to get there eventually. <laughs> because I don't get to preach what I want to preach. Now, I'm teaching you some incredible things here today. I, I mean, you have to understand procurement. You have to understand your role and responsibility, but you can't give what you don't have, which means let's first become, and you're all in process. You're not going to get to this immediately overnight, even though immediately you're made a saint, but now you have to discover identity. Because to take this even deeper and further, and I don't want to really lose you, but I'm going to say this point, your conscience bears witness to the people that are around you, and your conscience is telling you who you really are. And your conscience is between your spirit and your soul. So God comes, born... Uh, transforms you spiritually, but if you have shame in your consciousness, then you're going to misinterpret what God says, and you're going to constantly be accusing or excusing you improperly. That's why conscious, that's why I shared it last week. Your conscience, it's in the word apologetics, either defends you or excuses you. And I want to get you guys to have a clear conscience. It's so good to have a clear conscience, guys. Man, is it good. And you'll get there. It's the power of the blood. It's the power of love. It's the power of consistency. It's the power of being spiritually disciplined. You will get there. And so we're going to shine bright. Say the wise shine bright.
And in turn, guess what happens? We can turn many to righteousness and become a real rock star. Not a worldly rock star, a kingdom rock star. And us like a star that hangs in the sky like the cosmos that shines in the night and never burns out. We're not dying stars. We're everlasting stars. You're stars in the kingdom to bring light to the night. This is awesome. It's everlasting light in the night. And it's this understanding that I'm called to turn people to righteousness. You're called to turn people to righteousness. Okay, let's take it a step further. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. There's a whole pattern here. I'm going to read through this quickly. Paul says that I'm free from all men. Can I just tell you how good it is to not have a man-pleasing spirit in your life? Can I tell you how good worship was for me today? Because I just really didn't care. I'm singing. I, I probably sing off key. I'm singing in the spirit. Adam's sh- screaming, shout. Other people scream, shouting. And, you know, the thought is, well, gosh, man, if somebody walked in here and saw that, they'd think we were really, really weird. And I'm thinking, you know what? I think it's weird to go to churches that don't do that. I think, man, I'm tired of going to man-made religious deals where there's people not authentically and genuinely crying out to the Lord. That's what I want. I don't want a lukewarm, half-hearted spiritual church. I want an on-fire spiritual church. Don't you? So I'm free from you. Now, check this out. I'm free from me. You got to get free from yourself. You know, the greatest enemy is yourself. Oh, the greatest enemy is the devil. No, it's not. It was in the garden before the fall, but once the fall happened, everybody was born with a carnal nature. So now your carnal nature and your belief systems of the way that you've lived your life become your, and your people's own worst enemies in their head. But when you get born again, you get a new head. It's called the mind of Christ. This is so powerful for you to understand. So I got to snap you out of the lie and deception of eating from the wrong tree and help you to understand what it means to have the mind of Christ when you get born again. And so now you get free from all men, but check this out, and yourself, but you also then in turn become a bondservant to everybody. You're a bondservant. I'm a bondservant to you with no expectation of what to get in return. That's how this works. The agape love of Christ in me Agape is the highest form of love. It means whether you give or don't give, I love you just the same. Whether you come or don't come, whether you're in and out, no matter what you do or don't do, my genuine, authentic love for you. It doesn't mean there's not consequences if you do something wrong. It doesn't mean that I don't teach hard against sin and how it'll kill you and breaking God's laws break you and all those other things. But the point is, is that what it really means is that I care so deeply about you to flame on spiritually that my reward is not in what you do or don't do, it's who you become. That's my reward. That's his reward. You're his reward. I'm his reward. So all we're doing is, is rightfully getting Jesus' reward back to him. And so you become free, but you make yourself a servant to all. Why? Look at the scripture. Why? You know, the first person that has to be one is you. You know, you know the second person is that has to be one? Your children. Because my children, I'm the only example of what they know and they see. So I better be a right example. And then the scripture says to esteem others before yourself or greater than yourself. You know what that means? It means that if I'm going to esteem you better than myself, I need to be an accurate reflection of what that looks like really, really well. And I'm a work in progress just like you, but we're getting there. Everybody say, I'm getting there. Hey, you're getting there. You're here. Come on, guys. Get the shame off your life. Seriously, you're here. I'm proud of you. Now, you don't get any badges or medals or a, you'll get a $2 off coupon to Rock City for the, or at Coffee Waves, but you don't get any special thing. There's no accolade. You're not here to appease your conscience. You're here to be changed. And you're here to take what God's put inside of you and give it away. 
You're here to become something that you, better than what you are now. It's called training and equipping. So this church becomes a resting place. You become a resting place. And Paul says that you become a servant to all so that you might win the more. Uh, the, the word win here in the New Testament is gain. God wants you to gain the lives and the hearts of the generations to become his. It means to gain them for the kingdom. It means to gain them for Jesus. Same understanding as captive, taking captive in the Old Testament. So then Paul goes on to say these awesome things in verse 20 and 21. He goes on to say that I'm a servant to all. And to all people I become, in a sense, like, let's go to next verse 20. He says, to the Jew I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without the law, as with, without the law. And I could explain all this to you. Uh, some of it you're not going to understand. The general, I'll sum it up for you. To those that have the Torah and understand it from that perspective, he could become that. To those that are Christians that were under the law of Christ, he could become that. To those that know nothing, he could become that. And then he goes on to say, the purpose of it all is to win people. It's to win them, right? That I might win those who were without, verse 22, I love this one. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by any means, by all means save some. I'm going to break this down for you. The word win in this whole section of scripture means to convert. The word convert means to change from one form to another. Only Jesus can officially change you into another form. Only Jesus can officially save you. But the point that Paul's making here is that I want to win your mind and your will and emotions. I want to... Uh, persuade you to believe the truth and come out of darkness and break the blinder off so that you would get saved. And the word saved here is the word sozo. It's the totality of salvation. It's beyond rescue. It's beyond defended. It's now being made whole. I want to see people made whole. But, but only Jesus can do it, but then I become hands and feet to disciple you, not just me, but cultivate uh, Stephen Doty Hill, all the mamas and papas here, all the things. We're doing everything in this church, flourish, pulling the thread, regeneration. Everything is designed to disciple and to walk out the process of what God's doing in your life through family and relationship. That's why church has to be family, because if there's any other uh, motive, ulterior motive, that's outside of what God has for you, for the kingdom of God, or if I have one inside of me, it won't be everlasting or sustainable. That's why I say I'm not going anywhere, God willing. But if God takes me out, or if I get wiped out, or whatever happens, if I die early, this church needs to go on with or without me, and the vision needs to be carried forward, and that's why it can't just revolve around me, it revolves around him. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. So I, in turn, become all things to all men. Everybody say, all things, all things. to all men. Now, let me help you understand that. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to a drunk, I become a drunk. It doesn't mean that I now go out to the bar and start pounding down brewskis and margaritas and shots in hopes to go win some people. It's not what that means. It means that all things are in you when you get born again, and you have the answers to all things. That's why, uh, you know, my wife's never done a drug in her whole life, ever. Okay, and she, do you think she can effectively minister to a meth addict? You know why? Because she doesn't think she can, but she can. She's like, oh, they said no? No, they said yes, I'm seeing them. Because your credentials aren't based on what you've been through. Your credentials are based on who's in you. Powerful. Whoa. Write that down. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Your credentials have nothing to do. You can become all things to all men because you have all things in you. But I love specifically how he concludes to the weak I become weak because the last thing people need are haughty, arrogant, super religious Christians. But I'm confident in who I am so I can even stoop down low to where you're at and pull you up out of it. That's why Jesus said, come on, 
Come unto me, all you who are weak and weary, because he is low and meek. It means Jesus goes low to hook up his yoke to where you're at. He can meet you in a crack house, which I pray you never are there. He can meet you wherever you're at. He can find you wherever you're at. He can come to your situation right now. He can meet you in your struggle. And here's what he says. He says, hook your yoke up to my yoke. Stop plowing with your own yoke because it's going to wear you out. Thorns and thistles, wrong tree. Hook up to my yoke and start plowing my way because guess what? It's easy and light. It's easy and light, and you'll find rest. That's what Jesus said. So the mindset here is that you have the ability now to not be haughty and arrogant and prideful, but and instead of just giving a hand out, you can give a hand up because of who's in you, and you can learn to meet people right where they're at. Don't limit yourself. Let no one despise you of your youth. My four-year-old, who desperately needs Jesus, by the way, can say or do something, I'm not kidding. He sometimes, like the, many times he says, I saw the Holy Spirit in my room last night. Now, is he thinking it's a ghost? Or not? I, can, I can kind of try to figure it all out, or I can go, wow. What did it look like? Oh, it was a, it was a light. Or there's many times he says that, and, and he's not afraid. We teach our children no fear. Children naturally, in their natural carnal mind, fear. They're like, I'm afraid of the dark, or I'm afraid of this, or I'm afraid of that. So I have to teach them there's nothing to be afraid of because there's nothing in this house. And if you think you're seeing something, let's describe what you're seeing, and let's identify it and measure it, and then let's teach you how to deal with it. We cultivate an atmosphere of spiritual awakening because my kids could have a very real gift to see in the spirit or prophesy or have see things I don't see. There's some of you here in this room that can see things around in the atmosphere that I don't see. People come and say, I saw an angel behind you or a light behind you, or I saw angels around the room, or I saw this. And the challenge is, is some people without a renewed mind, when they see things in the spirit, freak out. Or if they see demons, they'll, they'll usually only see demons in darkness until they get born again and transformed. So if you're seeing demons in darkness, praise God. You have a very real gift inside of you. Now let's renew your mind so you can understand why God's showing it to you and how to deal with it. And that's how you teach your kids. Yeah! I didn't even plan to say that today. So by all means that I might save some. By all means that I might save some. Last scripture this morning, James chapter 5. And I'm going to pray for you. Verse 20. If somebody, anybody, turns a sinner from the error of his way, he'll save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I know a couple of things about covering a multitude of sins. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And I also know the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. So today I can rightfully and legally vote. Today I can rightfully and legally buy a gun. When the law says felons can't, my record's sealed and expunged. I can go into any prison, any jail, and y'all can run a background check on me. It'll be a waste of 28 bucks, but you could do it. <laughs> now, if you want to know about my speeding ticket or my 1990 bust for pot, go for it. But the point is, is that that felony conviction and what was once labeled to me as an ex-con is now no more. So you can't label and identify me. I don't care what happened or what the world says. I know what my record says. But more than that, I know what my record in the kingdom of God says. Yeah! yeah. And that's what happens to you. Some of you could write a book. Take your first name and put it in and add the book of Melody and the Multitude of Sins. The Chronicles of Melody. And the multitude of sins. Right? But what happens when you turn? To turn, what happens when you get converted and you come out of the kingdom of darkness into the power of the kingdom of light and his love and the kingdom of Jesus? Every failure, all the things weighing you down from your past, all the shame. Some of you have burnt it to the ground, but it's why I always say God's greatest building block is ashes. 
And some of you keep burning it down and keep burning down. God says, stop burning it down. Let me trade something beautiful for you. And what happens is, is you come out of death and you get covered. Wouldn't you like to stop dying and wouldn't you like to be covered? Really covered. Not with religious, false religious intent. Can we do it, guys? Can we do it in this house? Can you do it? Yes, you want it. I know you can. And I believe in you and this church enough. I believe that God's plan is for us to become mustard trees. Plant the seed in your heart. I don't care how small it is. And then Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will, you will speak to the mountains. And they're going to the sea. There are so many of you here that have, been, that have been led from captivity into being held captive by Christ. And it took a moment or a presence or a touch or a word or an encounter. So many of you that I know came out of being held captive from the kingdom of darkness. And now you become captive to Jesus and his kingdom. And now you can be made who you're called to be made, a tree of life. And in turn, you can bring fruit and healing and rest and nesting to anyone that comes without hooks. Let them come. I don't care who they are. We have loved really well in this church. And there will be the most broken, outcast people that will come here. And Jesus will bring rest to them and Jesus will do the transformation. Don't look down on anybody that comes. I don't care if they cross-dress. I don't care if they're gay. I don't care if they're atheists or Satanists, whatever front, even if they're methed out, drugged out, whatever it is. And sometimes we have to show tough love to some of the people that come in with wrong intentions. But more often than not, people are going to come in with right intentions. They want freedom. And we are the ones to bring it to them. The righteous, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Let's all stand.